You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. up our series on Paul's letter to the Galatians. If you are new with us, you haven't been with us in a while, for the last seven weeks, we have been trying to unpack Paul's letter together. And as we've done so, as we've kind of dug into this, we've really been asking some of the great questions of the faith. Some questions like, what is Christianity all about? What does it mean to be a Christian, how does Jesus change things? Why does Jesus matter today? These have been the questions that we've really been putting into the text and saying, Paul, help us to understand that. Now, if you remember though, seven weeks ago, before we even opened Paul's letter to the Galatians, I stood probably around here with my toes over the edge because that's what I do. And I said something to the effect of this that there would be a high probability that as we read Galatians, it would mess with you. That there is a high probability that this little letter would mess with your understanding of what it means to be a Christian. That it would challenge your understanding. That it would force you to realize that much of what you have been taught and much of what you've always thought Christianity was about, well, it was never in there in the first place. And for many of you, this is great. For many of you, you're like, this feels so good. I can ditch a lot of that burden that I've been carrying, and absolutely. But for others of you, this experience has been very jarring. It's very uncomfortable to think much of what I was taught as a child is no longer actually, it never was actually in the Bible in the first place. Like, that's a little confusing. And so this idea that the book would challenge me is, is hard. But I told you, if you remember, that the reason we know this book is challenging is because ever since Paul first wrote it, that's been people's experience with this letter. Months after Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians, and I'm talking like 2,000 years ago, months after he wrote it, it caused such a controversy in the church that the major church leadership in Jerusalem said, we need to figure out what we're going to do with Paul. And so they called in the apostles, they call in the other leaders, all in Jerusalem, and they start debating the question, is Paul right? Does Paul understand Christianity? And here's the thing, they eventually said, yeah, Paul actually gets it. Paul's right. And they affirmed that Paul's understanding of Christianity is the understanding we need to have. But that doesn't mean everybody got it. And see, the really interesting thing is, as you look at history, as you look at church history, even though the church leadership affirmed what Paul had to say, what Paul had to really say about the gospel and what Jesus did for us, it was really hard to understand. And most interestingly, as you follow church history, the church, for whatever reason, seems to forget what Paul argues and wanders into this gospel of effort, this The way you're saved is by what you do. And then as we talked about, in the 1500s, a guy named Martin Luther and a number of other church reformers started picking up the Bible again. And they started reading through it. And they came across Paul, and specifically they started reading and preaching through Galatians. 
And again, just as it did when it was first written, Galatians started to cause some major waves in the church. The difference is this time the waves became so great that it literally split the church in half. And so on one side you have Catholics, and the other side you have Protestants. All because of this little letter. This letter is potent. This letter will challenge your understanding of what it means to be a Christian. And I say this because that's what happened to me as well. That's what I experienced. Now this morning, I want to talk about why I chose to preach this series. Because there's been a lot of questions. Why did I choose such a book that I knew that had the potential to challenge us so much? And I want to clarify a couple things. I did not choose this book because I enjoy being provocative, even though I enjoy being provocative. <laughs> and I did not choose this book because I like to make people uncomfortable, even though I like to make people uncomfortable. And I did not choose this book because I knew Pastor Chris would be away and it was a time for me to just play. Okay, that wasn't, wasn't the intention behind the series. The reason I chose this letter and the reason I wanted to push us into these spaces where I knew it would make us uncomfortable, the reason I wanted to face the reality of what it is that it had to say was because of Paul's conclusion. See, after four chapters of arguing and defending himself using complex theology, we get to chapter 5, and Paul finally says, and this is what it's all about. This is what it was leading to. This is Christianity in a nutshell. And so this morning, I want to share that with you. And so I invite you, open up with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Now, just to recap, if you haven't been with us or you, you don't really remember what the last four chapters were about, is as we saw, we really dug into what Christianity is all about. And what we've discovered is that Christianity has nothing to do with what we bring to the table. It's not about what we do. It's not about our efforts. It's not about our morality. It's not about how much we know or how hard we try. That is not Christianity. And so anybody that tries to tell you that Christianity is about you, it's about how much you do, or you're not doing enough, or you're not good enough, you go, well, that's not Christianity. Paul makes that abundantly clear. But what Paul does make clear, because Christianity is not about what we do, it's all about what Jesus has already done for us. How Jesus, as our Savior, has rescued us or redeemed us, using Paul's word, from the brokenness of this life, from our sins and all the baggage that comes with it, and how, as our Lord, as our King, Jesus continues to define how we are to live. Christianity is all about Jesus. It's all about what he's done. And so, in chapter 5, Paul leads us to this beautiful, epic conclusion. But here's the thing. I've already spoiled it for you. If you've been in this series, I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I mean, week one, I told you what his conclusion was, and I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it every single week. And so before we read it, you're going to be like, I know that already. You've told me that. But here's the thing. What I haven't told you is we haven't fully unpacked what Paul means by this idea. Okay? Okay. And so I want to share that with you. I want to try and unpack that with you today. But also, I want to share with you how this section of Scripture specifically 
rocked my world. I told you the reason I wanted to preach through this was because of the way it affected me. I'm going to share with you this morning how it affected me. So Galatians chapter 5, after arguing for four chapters what Christianity is all about, Paul says this. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Can we throw it on the screen? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The reason Jesus came, the reason Jesus died, is so that you and I might be free. This is what I meant. I already ruined this. I spoiled the surprise. I've been using this language all along about freedom and how we're free from all the brokenness and shame of this world, how we're free from the religious hoops that we have to jump to. Freedom is the reason Jesus came. But then Paul goes on. So because you've received this freedom, then embrace it. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Look, this is Paul's summary nutshell. This is his thesis statement. If you were to take the book of Galatians and put it into one, maybe I think he has two sentences, this is it. What is Galatians about? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm in your freedom. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Church, to really understand this, we need to, we kind of need to go forward. In fact, we need to look at what Paul says because, in fact, what Paul's about to say is he's actually going to recap his argument. He's going to go back into what he said and he's going to again repeat for us that we have what Jesus has already done, how Jesus has already freed us, but he's also now going to explain, now that you have freedom, now that you have this great desire of your heart, this, this freedom, don't jump back into the burden. You are freed from the burden, don't jump back into the burden. And as you're going to see, this is really going to complete his whole thought. But to understand it, let's, let's look at what he says. Look with me at verse 2. Verse 2, this is what Paul says. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You, you who are trying to justify yourself, trying to make yourself right with God on the basis of the law, you've just alienated yourself from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. In other words, what Paul is getting at here is this. If you obsess over what you have to do, if you think in order to be right with God, it's about you. If you think what you, what you need to add to the work of Jesus, you're really missing the point. As Paul has made clear for four chapters, Jesus has done everything for you. Jesus is the one who died for you. Jesus is the one who took your sins upon you. Jesus is the one who removed the barrier of the law. Jesus did it. You could not add to Jesus. All you had to do was simply say, thank you, and trust it. Have faith. 
believe that what he did was enough. That's what we had to do. But Paul is getting at in the midst of this, though, is he's saying, if you then, in receiving what Jesus has done for you, then say, okay, Jesus kind of started the ball rolling, but it's on me to finish the job. It's on me to add to what Jesus did. It's on me to take this, this germinating faith and really bring it to its conclusion. You're doing a number of different things. Number one, you're actually diminishing the value of what Jesus did for you. You're saying Jesus didn't do enough. This has been one of the more interesting things as I've reflected on this series. I've had a number of conversations, really great conversations, but I've been accused many times of preaching cheap grace. Cheap grace, meaning all you have to do is believe and be saved. And I've had many people go, no, it's more than that. You have to also do. You have to add to it. You have to do this. And I've been like, no. Because as soon as we start saying it wasn't enough, what Jesus did wasn't enough, and I have to add to that, I've started to say Jesus actually isn't my savior. I'm my savior. Guys, this faith that Christ offers us, this gift of grace that Jesus offers us, it came at an incredibly high price. There's no such thing as cheap grace. Our salvation, our faith, our ability to be right with God cost the death of God's own son. This is the complete antithesis of cheap grace. And so when we say we actually need to add on top of what Jesus did, we're missing the point. But more than that, more than that, what we end up doing when we say we need to add to what Jesus has done is we're creating barriers between us and Jesus. See, this is what Paul is getting at when he's talking about circumcision. If you remember, as we've talked about in this letter, the specific context of the Galatian church is this. After Paul went and planted the church of Galatia, he went on his missionary trip with Barnabas. He told people about Jesus. He saw many people come to faith. After that, Paul left. And some other guy followed Paul. And when that other guy started visiting the churches that Paul planted, that other person started saying, actually, Paul didn't give you the whole story. In fact, to really be a Christian, you have to add you have to do stuff. Jesus kind of started the thing, but you have to add to faith. You have to do stuff. And specifically in the context of Galatians, the guy that followed Paul said, you have to be Jewish. If you really want to be a Christian, yes, Jesus invites you into a relationship, but if you really want to be a Christian, you have to do stuff. You have to follow the kosher laws. You have to follow the Sabbath laws. And men, buckle up, because here we go. Snip, snip. Men, you have got to be circumcised. And what Paul does all throughout this series is he uses the phrase circumcision as this shorthand for if you think you have to add to what Jesus does, then you've totally gotten it wrong. And the reason circumcision, well, number one, it's incredibly graphic. But more than that, if you start running around to grown men telling them they need to be circumcised, it doesn't matter that you actually are just going to pull out the little knife that you're going to do. It's going to feel like somebody's whipping out these babies. <laughs> men do not respond well when somebody charges them with these things, okay? 
That's just not what we do. And so this is what's happening in here. So here's how this applies to us today. Obviously, we're not going around, nobody's going around and preaching circumcision anymore. But what we often do as Christians is we take this freedom that we've been given in Christ, we take this great gift of grace, and then we simply sit here and go, okay, I am saved. I am a Christian. Now what? What do I do with it? This whole faith thing sure would be a lot easier if it came with a checklist. Right? If there was a way for me to measure my faithfulness, if there was a way for me to measure, how am I growing in my faith? Am I, am I a good Christian? Am I a mediocre Christian? Am I a bad Christian? How do I measure that? The Bible doesn't really give us things. And so what we do innately to ourselves is we start to burden ourselves we take these good gifts of God that were given to us in freedom and we start to regulate our freedoms. We take these good gifts, things like reading the Bible, prayer, going to church, tithing, these things that God gave us to help us grow in our faith and we start to regulate them and we start to say that if you really want to be a good Christian, if you really want to add to what Jesus did to really you know, finish that whole faith thing, you got to read your Bible every day. You got to pray every day. You have to go to church every single Sunday. And at a minimum, you got to be given 10%. Minimum. Minimum. And then we add more and more and more. And we say, Jesus gave us freedom from our sins. And so because we have freedom from our sins, we start to add on to this idea of, well, we have to therefore be perfect and never sin anymore. And we start to think that that's about us and our efforts. And so we start building in this whole tally system. Well, I went a whole few hours without sinning. Yeah. I'm going to stretch that tomorrow. I'm going to go seven hours instead of four. I'm going to push this thing. And we create this regulated system in our head. But all we've done, if we take this free gift of grace that Jesus offers us, and then we start adding these layers to it, is we create a barrier between us and Jesus again. The same, a new law system. The old law, Jesus came and he fulfilled and he set it aside. Remember, we talked about this as we've gone through the system. But all we're doing is creating a new one. We've replaced the Mosaic law with John's law. Thou shalt read your Bible six times a day. You have to read a minimum of 13 verses. You have to pray for a minimum of five minutes. And when you don't do that, you start to feel bad. Why? Because you broke your rules. But those rules were never in there in the first place. Do you see what Paul's getting at? You who are trying to justify yourself by the law. You who think you have to add to the work of Jesus. You who think it's really about what you do and you create these systems to get there. All you're really doing is alienating yourself from Christ. You're creating these artificial barriers between you and Jesus. You're taking these good gifts, these things that should be there for helping you, like going to church, reading the Bible, prayer, and you've regulated them into some sort of have to. And when you make it a have to, you miss the fullness of what Jesus is inviting you into. And you've missed it. When I was early in my faith, I really struggled with this. 
The reason I've been beating the drum of this sermon series over and over, the exact same thing every single week, is because of this point. See, it was this passage that helped me to understand my faith. As many of you know, I grew up in this church and I came to faith when I was in high school. I was fortunate enough to come to faith when I was in high school. But as a high school kid, I really didn't know anything. I had heard some of the Bible stories. I knew that going to church was a good thing and I knew you're supposed to read your Bible and I knew you know, prayer was helpful. But I really didn't understand why or what the means of those were. The only thing I really knew was that Jesus died for my sins. And because I knew Jesus died for my sins, I filtered everything through that lens. I began to think that the only way to really follow Jesus was to be focused on fixing my sin. And so the way I read the Bible, the way I prayed, the way I talked to people, it was all focused on fixing myself or keeping myself pure. I I don't think I would have expressed it that way when I was a kid, especially But as I've gotten older and as I started to read other people and I started to reflect back on how I prayed and what I read through and, you know, just reflecting back on what was going through my head, I realized, as Dallas Willard says, I had really embraced this idea of a gospel of sin management, that Jesus had come so that I could fix myself. And I pursued all of these systems in place to make sure that I was fixing myself. And here's the thing, it wasn't just me fixing myself. That would have been probably better. I didn't stop there. I like to play morality cop of the world. It wasn't just about my sins, it was also about your sins. Because I needed to fix you. And at a minimum, if you weren't going to listen to me, I was going to join my holy huddle of Christian friends and talk about you behind your back and feel all morally superior to you. Because that's what I did. I would judge you. And I'd talk about how I'm better than you because I got my sins in check for a few hours. I'm doing my thing. Now, here's the thing. I had my good days in this system. I did. I had days I wanted to read my Bible. I had days I wanted to pray. I wanted to go to church. I had days where I could probably go and evade my, my primary vices, those great sins that I'm constantly drawn to. I had days I could avoid that. They were few and far between, but I had them. Because the primary way I lived was I had bad days. I had days where I didn't want to read my Bible. I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to pray. I definitely wasn't able to resist all of my temptations. And I gave in. And the problem is, when I started giving into those things, when I started embracing the bad stuff and not the freedom... I just lived in this constant state of fear. This fear of God. Not fear from the wrath of God. Like, I I wasn't thinking God was out to get me because I had sinned as much as it was this fear that I had disappointed God. This fear that I wasn't honoring him, that I messed up, that I didn't keep my end of the bargain, and because of that, it was just going to bring nothing but shame and guilt and burden. And I realized that I started to get controlled by this, by my fears, by my insecurities, by my doubts, by this shame, by this guilt. This is how I lived most of my Christian life. And I honestly, I don't think I would have expressed it this way. But this is how, as I look back, this is what controlled me. And I don't share this with you just to air my dirty laundry in public. 
I share this with you because I don't think I'm the only person that's ever viewed Christianity this way. I don't think I'm the only one that was taught to start thinking this way. And I say this because I have a really interesting perspective now as a pastor. When I go out into public and I come across somebody, not necessarily somebody that goes to church, but you know, you're just shooting the breeze and it gets around to the question of, so what do you do? And I've stopped evading the question and I just buckle up and go for it. And I just go, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. The immediate response every single time is, I don't go to church. <laughs> or, I haven't been in a long time. Or, oh, you know, I, I really haven't been living very well. It's like, as soon as I tell people what I do, I am a walking guilt trip to them. <laughs> Because I represent Christianity. I am standing there in person as Christianity. And their understanding of Christianity is all about shame and guilt and burdens and how they have to do something and they have to contribute. And I have to constantly go, okay, like, here's the thing, dude. Like, I'm not guilting you. You are always welcome to church. We would love to have you. But Christianity, it's not about what you do. God still loves you. But here's the thing, when we fail, there is something in us. We don't just run back to God and go, Lord, I messed up, help me. We run from God. We alienate ourselves from Christ. We put artificial barriers that never existed in the first place because this is just what we do. And Paul is saying, stop it. You were freed from all of this. You were given freedom. Don't jump back into slavery, especially some artificial slavery. Embrace the freedom. See, now Paul goes on in the next couple verses, in verses 5 and 6, and he really gets at what Christianity is all about. He summarizes the totality of the thing. Can we throw verses 5 and 6 on the screen, please? Paul says, For it is through the Spirit that we as Christians eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. That is a mouthful of a sentence. That is a mouthful. There is a ton going on there, but the essence of what it is is what it means to be a Christian is to continue to cling by faith to Jesus. As you cling by faith to Jesus, you're recognizing it's not about what you do. It's not about what you bring to the table. It's not about what you offer because it's not about you bringing out righteousness. It's about you clinging to Jesus and as you cling to Jesus, his Holy Spirit takes hold of your life and starts working in you and starts bringing about the righteousness which was already gifted to you. The fancy theological word for this is sanctification. You are already made right with God. That's justification. God has declared you saved. Deal with it. You can't get out of it. You're good. But that doesn't mean just because you are good that your whole life is fixed and perfect. No, we are still works in progress. And so we cling to Jesus desperately. And as we cling, the Spirit takes hold of our life and it begins to transform us and shape us. But the key here is it's not us doing the work. It's not me. It's not my artificial standings. It's not my ways of living. It's him. Paul makes this more clear. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Look, that's specific to the Galatian context, but to you, church, 
If you skipped your Bible study or you didn't pray yesterday, it's okay. It doesn't have any value on your salvation. You're already saved. This is the faith that Christ offers you. So you skipped your tithe. So you didn't go to church for a week. Don't bog yourself down. Don't run from God because of that. Don't think now you're just cut off from God. No, it has no value on your standing with God. Paul has made this clear for four chapters. Jesus has done everything. The only thing that counts. The only thing that counts. Okay, first of all, if the Bible ever says the only thing that counts... The only thing that matters, the only thing you should pay attention to, you should really pay attention to what follows. Okay? It's kind of a big statement. And so this is one of those moments where if you got your pen, you underline. This is like the verse to highlight. The only thing that counts. The only thing about Christians that really matters. If you're trying to figure out how do I live? How do I engage my faith? What does it mean to be a Christian? The only thing that counts, the only thing that drives you is faith. And the way you express your faith is by love. The only thing you should be stressing about is the question, am I loving as Jesus loved me? It's not, did I read my Bible enough today? Did I pray enough today? Those are all great things. You should absolutely do them. But if you skip them, don't beat yourself up about it. Just hop back on the horse, keep riding. The only thing you should be questioning, am I loving well? Am I loving my wife as Christ loved the church? Am I loving my children as my heavenly father loves me? Am I loving my neighbor, my coworker, and that annoying guy at Costco? the way I love myself. Am I loving well? And here's the thing. Jesus has taken care of the rest. Guys, this is what Jesus, or this is what Paul is getting at in verse one. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do you mind throwing verse one up? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. The reason Jesus came, the reason Jesus died was so that you and I might be free not just from our past baggage, not just from the stuff that happened before we were saved. Jesus came to offer you freedom that extends into your totality of your life with Christ. For the end of days, you are free. Stop adding to this. Stop jumping back into slavery. Stop jumping back into the burdens of religiosity. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You are free from sin. Guys, you're free from the burdens of this life. You're free from religion. You're free from a mediocre life. And Jesus didn't come to just free you from stuff, but he came to free you to stuff. Free you to live, to think, to speak, to live as God intended you to live from the very beginning. Without hindrance, without obligation, without burden, without restraint. As Paul puts it throughout Galatians, because of Jesus, you are no longer slaves. Instead, you are God's kids. Because of Jesus, we are the adopted children of God. And as God's adopted children, we are invited into his presence without having to jump through religious hoops 
And without having to worry about our burdens and our baggage and all the other junk that life brings with us, we are good. So don't chuck your freedom. Embrace it. Now that is really the religious side of the whole thing. Don't jump back into religion. But Paul also makes this very clear. As Christians, we should also be clear that we don't jump back into sin. We've been freed from sin. We've been freed from religion. Don't jump into religion, but also don't jump back into sin. If you read the second half of Galatians chapter 5, Paul really emphasizes this. He says there's two ways to live now. You can either follow the spirit or you can follow the flesh. You can do what you think is best or you can do what God thinks is best. Another way of thinking about it is Paul putting it kind of like we're back in the Garden of Eden and we have the same choices Adam and Eve make. We can either do what God wants us to do or we can do what we think is best. Well, we read the story We saw what happens when you start pursuing your own ideas and your own flesh and your own desires for short-term gains. That doesn't get you anywhere. So Paul again says, don't go for the flesh. Embrace the Spirit. Follow the Spirit. Continue to press into Jesus. And as you press into Jesus, you're going to see things change. It's going to affect you. But the key is, it's not you who change you. It's God who changes you. See, this is the really interesting thing, is when you press into Jesus, when you cling to him by faith, and you said, I don't know how to live, Lord. How do I live like you? And the only thing you filter that through is, I'm supposed to love. And that's literally the only thing that guides you. Something happens. If in every situation of life you go, how do I love well? Something is going to innately happen in you. Something's just going to start to pop up. Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit. And you can't create the fruit of the Spirit. You can't manufacture the fruit of the Spirit. You can't produce it. It's something that happens when God takes hold of your life. And it just innately changes you. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. None of those things you manufacture. But as you cling to God, these things start to take hold of your life. Church, it was this truth that revolutionized my understanding of faith. It was this truth when I understood what freedom really meant, that it wasn't about fixing myself, that it wasn't about me controlling my life, but all I was called to do was simply embrace what Jesus had done for me and allow him to fix me. And as I press into him, as I mess up, as I screw up, bring my stuff before him again and go, yeah, I I don't know where it was. The difference is instead of running from him, I'm running towards him. And I'm bringing it. And then I'm simply saying, Lord, I really don't know how to live. And I look to the one command. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so all of my actions, all of the things that I try and figure out, well, how do I live now as a Christian? I just filter through that lens. Okay, what is the loving thing to do? And I try and do that. Look, here's the thing. You all know I don't do that perfectly. But I'm just saying, this is the primary means by which I now live. And because of this, I've been accused of being hyper-liberal I've been accused of being too grace-driven. I've been accused of being too loving. And I was like, thank you. (laughs) I know you mean that as a negative thing, but I've never took that as a bigger compliment in my entire life. Because if I have to stand before God and he goes, John, you were a little too loving there, I'd rather hear that (laughs) than you were a little too judgmental. Because that was my old system. When I used to live the gospel of sin management, it was all about me. Now I'm recognizing it's not about me. 
It's all about me just clinging to Jesus, receiving his gift of grace, receiving his freedom, receiving his love, and sharing it. That's what Christianity is all about. See, church, our hope and prayer for you, the reason we dug into this sermon series, the reason we continue to study the scriptures every single week is because that's what we want you to experience. That great longing, that great desire of your heart for a life that you've always known you really want, but something's off in your life, that only comes through Jesus. Nothing you can do will ever attain that for you. The peace that you're longing for, the contentment you're longing for, the hope you're longing for, it's only found in Jesus. Receive it. Receive his love. Receive his grace. And as you receive it, the only thing you've got to worry about, how do I share it? How do I help others to embrace the same truth? That's Christianity. I told you it's a good point. Let's pray.